Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. They take care of our air conditioning, and they'll do a great job for you. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests. For today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Joel Griffith. He's a Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We'll be talking some of the pain that Americans are feeling in their pocketbooks right now. And then Larry Reed is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Marxist student group demands an abolition of Hayek Society at London School of Economics. Kind of absurd. And then uh, my wife Linda will be joining us for a while as well. Today is... July the 30th, and on this day, by the way, uh, we are celebrating 10 years broadcasting on the internet on August the 1st. That's uh, That'll be on Monday's show. We'll uh, be celebrating that, but nevertheless, uh, 10 years went by pretty quickly. It's July the 30th, and on this day in 1965, President Lyndon Baines Johnson signed Medicare into law. At the bill signing ceremony, which took place at the Truman Library in Independence, Missouri, Former President Harry Truman was enrolled as Medicare's first beneficiary and received the very first Medicare card. Johnson wanted to recognize Truman, who in 1945 had become the first president to propose national health insurance, an initiative that was opposed at the time by Congress and, of course, opposed by many of us today. The Medicare program, providing hospital and medical insurance for Americans aged 65 or older, was signed into law as an amendment to the Social Security Act of 1935. Some 19 million people enrolled in the Medicare when it was in effect in 1966. In 1972, eligibility for the program was extended to Americans under 65 with certain disabilities and people of all ages with permanent kidney uh, disease and who are on uh, dialysis or transplant. In December 2003, President George W. Bush signed into law the Medicare Modernization Act, which added outpatient prescription drug benefits to Medicare. Medicaid, a state and federally funded program that offers health insurance to certain low-income folks, was also signed into law by President Johnson on July the 30th, 1965, as an amendment to the Social Security Act. <clears throat> Not sure that Social Security was ever <laughs> constitutional in the first place, but they're piling a lot of stuff on it. Nevertheless, uh, we are where we are right day, uh, today because of what happened in 1965 with uh, national health insurance. The Biden economy is uh, continuing to disappoint with inflation surging and the economic recovery consistently missing analyst expectations. The GDP figures for the second quarter of the year just came in, and unsurprisingly, they're two, uh, two were well below expectations. The U.S. economy rose at a disappointing rate in the second quarter. The Commerce Department reported Thursday in a sign that the U.S. has escaped the shackles of COVID-19 pandemic but still has more work to do. Gross domestic product, which is a measure of all goods and services produced during the April to June period, accelerated 6.5% on an annualized basis. That was a slightly better than the 6.3 gain in the first quarter, which was revised down narrowly. And while, uh, while we would uh, <clears throat> want to have a stronger prior, uh, we, that would have been very strong prior to the pandemic, 
The gain was considerably less than the 8.4% Dow Jones estimate. Gross private uh, domestic investment fell 3.5% as declines in private inventory and residential investment held back gains, the rising imports and a 5% decline in the rate of federal government spending, despite the ballooning uh, budget deficit, were also factors the Bureau of Economic Analysis reported. Weekly jobless claims were also reported today with 400,000 filings uh, for the week, ending up end of June, July the 24th, which is still double the pre-pandemic norm and higher than the 380,000 analysts expected. So uh, disappointing economic results in the uh, Biden administration, certainly far less in my opinion than we would have had had Trump continued as president. <clears throat> The Center for Disease Control and Prevention cited an unpublished study from India to justify a recommendation Tuesday that its fully vaccinated people wear a mask in indoor settings in in areas of substantial or high transmission of COVID-19. That study, which claimed that the Delta variant produced an unusually large viral load in more than 100 vaccinated health workers with breakthrough infections, was listed to have failed peer review in the National in the journal Nature, which the uh, CDC uh, cited it. Archives of the study page on uh, ResearchSquare, a preprint server for the unpublished research, shows that it was marked reject, that's right, reject on July the 9th, and remains so, at least through the evening of July the 26th. The version was still uh, live early Wednesday morning, the day after the CDC cited the study in, in its July 27th Updated uh, science brief, according to Twitter user, the uh, reject uh, status and review notes were removed by mid-morning and replaced with posted instead of reject, uh, suggesting Nature had approved the paper without revisions, which drew controversy on Twitter. The notes were quickly restored and status changed to revise, bearing the same date, July the 9th, as the original reject status. So, pretty clear to me they're playing games. With this, uh, they, you know, these people are not stupid. Uh, maybe they're incompetent, but they're not stupid. Uh, they know, they understand full well that a rejected uh, study in India using uh, medicine that we don't even use here, the vaccines are different in India, that uh, that as a basis for masking up makes absolutely no sense at all. It seems to me that this is on purpose. They're doing this on purpose to support a narrative, a political narrative out of the Biden administration. The CDC didn't stop at recommending masks in public indoor settings regardless of vaccination. In light of the Delta variant, fully vaccinated people might choose to wear a mask regardless of the level of transmission, particularly if they are immune compromised or an increased risk for severe disease from COVID-19 or if anyone in the household is not vaccinated. Even fully vaccinated people with a known exposure to someone who's with suspected COVID-19 should be tested within a few days of exposure and wear a mask indoors for two weeks or until they get a negative test result, the agency said. Pretty absurd. Also uh, mandating that kids uh, wear masks at school. Well, President Biden uh, drew heated Thursday after defending his administration's flip-flop on whether vaccinated Americans needed to wear masks or not. For Fox News's Peter Ducey pressed Biden about his administration's reversal, pointing to a president's statement in May that if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. In May, you made it seem like the vaccine was the ticket to losing the mask forever, Ducey pointed out. That was true at the time, Biden shouted. 
but I thought they were, there were people who were going to understand that getting vaccinated made a dramatic difference. Whatever happened was the new variant came along. They didn't get vaccinated. It spread more rapidly, and more people were getting sick. So in other words, it's not my fault. It's all those unvaccinated folks. That's, it's their fault. That's the difference, Biden added before walking away. During the press conference, Biden laid out a plan to incentivize Americans to get vaccinated, including a call for $100 payments from the government to people who chose to get vaccinated. I'm not kidding. He really said that. People would be concerned about their health if it believed everything that the government said. If, if they'd be uh, really wanting to get that vaccine, but apparently people are hesitant uh, because of, they have uh, reservations about the vaccine and about the risk-reward uh, 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 ratio with regard to taking the vaccine. $100. Unbelievable. Biden will also push for businesses to offer paid time off to employees in order to get the vaccinated and will require all federal workers to be vaccinated or face rigorous testing and social distancing requirements. It's time to impose requirements on key groups to make sure they're vaccinated, Biden said. Every federal government employee will be asked to attest to their vaccination status. Anyone who does not attest will be required to mask no matter where they work and test two to t- uh, one to two times a week socially distanced, and will generally not be allowed to travel for work. The post office union has already spoken out against this. Uh, This is not going to wash well with government employees, I don't think. So you can see this happening. This is all going on uh, as we're preparing for kids to go back to school. This Delta variant business with the masking and the CDC requirements just to me looks like political theater, quite frankly. The United States uh, Capitol Police reversed a decision to arrest people who did not comply with Tuesday's reinstatement of the mask mandate, saying instead that the consequence for violators will be removal from the buildings. Regardless of the house mask rule, there is no reason that anyone should come come to someone being arrested. Anyone who does not follow the rule will be asked to wear a mask or leave the premises. The department's requirement for uh, officers to wear masks is for their health and safety, said the Capitol Police press statement. Uh, Representative Kat Kamet from Florida said she's received a memo in which Speaker Nancy Pelosi told police arrest visitors who do not comply with the mask mandate and report members of Congress. In today's edition of Pelosi's Abuse of Power, Capitol Police have been directed to arrest staff and visitors to comply with the mask mandate for vaccinated individuals. For members, they advise not uh, arresting but reporting uh, to uh, Nancy. She's way above her skis, well, way out in front of her skis. Uh, this woman should not be the leader of the House. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service 
fabulous food and a rockin' good time, Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Joel Griffith. He's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Right now we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O dot org. So, William, I just really appreciate your commentary for the last several weeks. We've been talking about the progression of the infrastructure bills that have been proposed, and uh, I just wanted to get an update from you. What are your thoughts? (laughs) My thoughts, and again, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to lend my thoughts. Um, uh, Just to remind your listeners, it's easiest to think about this infrastructure spending as, as three giant buckets of of taxpayer money. Um, The first one is $700 billion worth of traditional infrastructure spending that is baked into the system. That is part of the the periodic highway reauthorization uh, in Congress every five years, and it's paid for primarily by the gas tax. Um, The second bucket of taxpayer money is about $500 billion dollars in new spending on traditional infrastructure. And this has been uh, advanced by a bipartisan group of senators negotiating with the White House. Um, last but not least is the third and, and biggest, most giant bucket of taxpayer money. That is the 3.5, at least $3.5 trillion 
um, Democrat-only spending package that they plan on advancing via reconciliation, um, which is this congressional procedure that allows them to bypass a Senate filibuster. And that $3.5 trillion measure, I mean, has everything under the sun, and, and very little of it is related to traditional infrastructure. Okay, so that's the background. Mm-hmm. The, the latest news, the big news this week, um, was that uh, the bipartisan group of senators in the White House reached an agreement regarding those first two buckets of money. So the $700 billion baked into the system and the $500-odd billion of new spending. Um, so the key component there is the new spending. It has about $110 billion more for highways, $65 billion for broadband, and about $70 billion for the electricity grid. Um, last week, I had said that this $500-odd billion in new traditional infrastructure spending was going to be paid for primarily by indexing the gas tax. Mm-hmm. That was incorrect. That's not ultimately what they decided. Um, so the bipartisan group of senators, basically half the new spending would come from repackaging COVID funds that were unspent or COVID stimulus funds that were unspent. And the other half would come from various um, uh, uh, kind of targeted budget cuts. I mean, you know, for example, reversing a, a pharmaceutical rebate or a targeting cryptocurrency for tax enforcement. Um, so that was the the, the 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 big news this week with respect to infrastructure. Um, that the, this bipartisan package weighed in at about 700 pages. Um, the Senate immediately moved forward with a procedural vote that essentially allows debate to begin on this measure. Uh, 17 Republicans voted with all 50 Democrats to, to move the process forward. Um, so that's where we stand right now. It, it's still, you know, the situation is highly fluid. Um, as I've said before, this, this bipartisan um, package is, is connected in many ways to that $3.5 trillion package. Um, and, and I'll note uh, on a hopeful, <laughs> a hopeful note um, that, uh, you know, I've said it a number of times before, the $700 billion that's baked into the system, you know, on top of the $5.5 trillion in pandemic stimuli that's been passed over the last year and a half, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether or not we need any new spending. And to that end, there's a lot of brinksmanship into these into this fluid situation. And, and by that, I mean um, the moderates in the Democratic Party are uneasy about anything more than the bipartisan package, and progressives are adamant that uh, the $3.5 billion is a starting point. And again, there's this element of brinksmanship, and I mention this only insofar as my fingers are crossed, um, and I do think there is a non-negligible chance that all this will fall apart, that, that all the new spending will, will fall apart amidst infighting in the, in the uh, majority party in the House of the Senate. Now, I'm, I'm with you on that, uh, from your lips to God's ear. Uh, the, Nancy Pelosi, I believe, has said, look, uh, we're not going to vote on the bipartisan bill until we get past the $3.5 trillion bill in the House. We got. I want to make sure that passes in order to get the bipartisan package. Is that correct? That, that, that would be exactly the sort of brinksmanship that I was speaking about. Um, other instances would be uh, the Progressive Caucus in the House, um, seemingly uh, being uh, uh, not amenable to any negotiations with mm-hmm. the Republicans. So they're sort of impeding the bipartisan effort for being bipartisan. Um, Senator Joe Manchin has suggested that, that if the Senate does not come to agreement on the bipartisan package, that he will not 
vote for the $3.5 trillion package in any uh, manifestation. And, of course, the Democrats need all 50 in their Senate caucus uh, to vote in favor of the bill to proceed. So it's highly fluid, highly dynamic. A lot of uh, uh, players have put out categorical statements as to how they will act, and, and a lot of these categorical statements are mutually exclusive. So that's why I've got my fingers crossed that this, this whole thing will blow up. <laughs> Amen. So, hey, so before I let you go, the, the, uh, the apparently a watchdog report came out showing that there's a lot of fraud going on and with unemployment insurance. Well, and this is uh, something that's very related to the deluge of federal spending that we've been discussing for the last seven minutes. Um, but yes, this is a big unfolding scandal uh, regarding the $873 billion worth of unemployment insurance benefits that were in various pandemic stimuli bills passed by Congress. The long and short of it is we know at least $80 billion went to waste. Uh, we're hearing reports the number could be as high as $400 billion. And uh, alarmingly, um, there was a major report this week from ProPublica uh, indicating or reporting that, that a huge chunk of this fraud was perpetrated by foreign crime syndicates. Um, so, so it really is it's, it's painting a sorry picture about the capabilities of big government. And that's something we should all keep in mind mm -hmm. as Congress is discussing spending $504 trillion more. Absolutely. Again, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. I'd refer you to Cato.org. Please take a look at the website, Cato, C-A-T-O dot org. William, always appreciate your most well-informed commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Linda Harden. That's right, she's my wife. She also is the author of Greetings from Paradise. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, 
it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Do many things, uh, among them creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us the lovely Linda Harden. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. I am making a Friday appearance. Yeah, we appreciate that so much. <laughs> so, hey, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this uh, situation with the January 6th people are incarcerated. I understand there's 500 of these people in jail. Uh, they've, you know, certainly violated the Bill of Rights here because these people have not been so far as, in fact, a couple of congressmen went down, went to uh, the jail to check things out, and they weren't even allowed in. Oh my goodness, what a what a hot mess that that this is. Um, and the news people aren't, including Fox News, is not even covering it. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Louis Gohmert, and one of the congressmen who's I can't remember his name. Uh, they went to the D.C. jail. By the way, they're on the oversight committee in, in Congress. They have a right to go into jails and see what's going on and whatever. And the, the person at the D.C. jail said, you can't come in, you're trespassing, yeah. which is just a joke. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene said, well, who, gave you, who told you that we're trespassing. We're not trespassing. We're members of Congress, and we have every right to, to come in here and see what's going on. And she said, my supervisor said that you're trespassing, you can't come in. And they said, well, let's, let's talk to your supervisor. So all of a sudden, I mean, they got in the front door, and they could see some of what was going on, but, but um, not much. And so suddenly this woman comes uh, racing past them out the front door, and the, they asked the, the uh, person who initially told them they were trespassing, who is that? That's my supervisor. She wouldn't even stop to talk to them. So she went outdoors. They followed them, um, the supervisor outdoors. The supervisor went around the back, and while, while Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis Gohmert, and the other guy went out the front door to follow to catch the supervisor, they locked the door on them. Unbelievable. I mean, uh, and again, to, to what your first point was, is they actually have oversight over this jail, over the uh, Capitol Police. So, uh, well, and and they had a, they had a news conference afterwards, and they and they told um, the reporters that were were there exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, these people are uh, they may have some sort of public defender, who knows? But there's not a lot of information, as far as we know. They're being held in jail without, in some cases, without uh, full charges or complete charges of what they're being held for, without a court date, without any kind of due process at all. Matt Gates said it's worse than Gitmo in there. They're they're torturing these people, and the fact that the the mainstream media and including <clears throat> Fox News 
is not covering it. Yeah. You know, I hold uh, Nancy Pelosi responsible for this. Uh, I, I don't have all the information, but, you know, she is the one that's in charge of the Capitol Police. She's calling the uh, shots. Uh, yeah, this whole thing has been orchestrated, this January 6th subcommittee commission or whatever they put together. I was a complete farce the other day, and uh, I think she's she's uh, she shouldn't be Speaker of the House. Well, she she's she's looking more and more desperate every single day by the stuff she's pulling. But this this D.C. police thing. Um, by the way, on January sixth, the people in Congress knew that something was going to happen on January sixth. Of course, they did. And on December fourteenth, there were over five hundred National Guard people on standby, mm -hmm. and Nancy Pelosi never called them up. Right. In fact, uh, what I believe, and I th I've said this before on the show, what I believe is that the whole thing was orchestrated. They knew that Trump was going to be doing a rally. Uh, they uh, invited, I think we've seen a video that's uh, actually confirmed this, that the Capitol Police opened the gates and invited people to come in. But they won't let anybody see the film of that. They've got all those many hours of of film hidden. That's another thing. They are covering up, and the more they cover this stuff up, people are waking up. They're going, hey, what's what's wrong? Yeah. And the media is complicit in, in uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, big cover-up. She's trying to distract from so many things, and too many people are waking up now in spite of the fact that the mainstream media is doing everything they can to cover for her and what she's trying to do. Well, and of course, looming right now is the passage of this $3.5 trillion non-infrastructure or human infrastructure, whatever, I think I can make this stuff up, uh, package, as well as, of course, the uh, bipartisan package. Uh, I quite frankly have real doubts that either can pass. Well, and now now the, the Democrats are, are, are um, bad-mouthing the people who, the people who are... Um, the bipartisan committee who who helped to put this forward, and they're calling them. There's not enough diversity in the in the people who put the put the uh, what am I trying to say? The the group together to try and p push this forward. Yeah, they're like um, uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins and all that. There are too many white people on it. It's oh. just a hot mess. It's just they're looking like such fools. And by the way, I'm not a huge fan of Chip Roy from Texas, the representative from Texas, because he's a never Trumper. But he's come out on all this stuff from Nancy Pelosi's um, mandating masks in the Congress again, yeah. which, by the way, tells me the vaccine doesn't work. Uh, yeah. And and so he says we should just shut this house down because you know what, this this is this body doesn't even even deserve um, the American people. I mean, it 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 is such a foolhardy place to be. Yeah. In fact, uh, yesterday there was a press conference. Uh, top names in the group came down on Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi regarding their leadership or lack thereof. I mean, this is a House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, House Whip Steve Scalise, uh, GOP Chairwoman Elise Stefanik, and several others in the House Committee sp uh, spoke of what they called poor leadership from both Biden and Pelosi. So, uh, you know, this type of thing is so interesting. I, I just wonder what the, the future is going to bring for Nancy Pelosi. Well, she's, well, you want my personal opinion? She belongs in an orange jumpsuit. Yeah, uh, in 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 jail. I mean, I I think, I think her hysteria about trying to distract from all the other stuff that's going on is going to be her downfall. I really do. She's looking she's looking like a, a hysterical monster right now. I mean, she really is. Yeah, so it, it's 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 a clown show. The people that are running this country, 
is a clown show. And oh, by the way, I w- was watching Steve Bannon um, yesterday morning, and he was he and uh, Raheem Kassan were saying that Joe Biden's poll numbers are underwater, and they're 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 in free fall right now. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, before I let you go, uh, any update on the uh, audits? Audits are are running. I mean, uh, Wisconsin's going forward. There's a lawsuit going forward in Georgia. Arizona's um, they're done with with their count. Nobody wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to talk about it. And you know what? Um, I just so love these alternative news sites that we watch because they're they're coming forward. They're ending up being uh, more watched and growing more popular every day. Um, Bannon's War Room has over seventy million downloads. I put on my uh, all my uh, contact lists the link to watch them in real time. Um, on Real America's Voice, they're growing by leaps and bounds, mm-hmm. and good for them. One American News, the same thing. It's it's really cool. It is cool indeed. And uh, slowly but surely, things are moving forward. I know that there's going to be a federal attempt by the uh, Department of Justice to stop these audits, but I don't think they're going to succeed. Uh, the the uh, state authorities, the senators and so forth, pretty well understand the Constitution that says that they have the responsibility, not the federal government, for the elections in their state. By the way, did you know? Did you know that um, nobody can contact this Merritt Garland? He's in hiding. He's he's got these these rulings that are coming out going after, but but nobody can contact. I him. did not know that. That is so interesting. Uh, Jim Jordan in in the House. Um, and I think Matt Gase too has called them to called him. He should have been out there testifying a long time ago, um, being asked questions about everything that's going on, and he won't show. That is so interesting, Linda. Always appreciate your so well informed commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, you know what? It's like we're in a movie, only it's in real life, and it's pretty scary if you come right down to it. It certainly is. Thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Joel Griffith. He's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about the pain Americans are feeling in their pocketbooks. Why? Well, of course, Biden administration, in my opinion. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You. 
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Joel Griffith. He's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Joel, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me this morning. My pleasure, Joel. Hey, I saw a piece that you wrote about the pain Americans are feeling in their pocketbooks. I thought it connected all the dots, and uh, just terrific. Maybe you can tell us about it. Oh, sure. And thanks for, for, for having me on, be, on behalf of the Heritage Foundation. Um, yeah, well, you know, over the, over the past year, uh, Americans have been experiencing, obviously, a rise in, in prices. And those rising prices have exceeded a typical person's up and pay, a paycheck, and if you look at a typical family, let's say you're making $50,000 a year and you might have seen a 1% or 2% increase in, in your income. Well, that's great. You have another one or $2,000 uh, a year coming in. But you know, when you go to the grocery store and you see that your, your food bill for your family goes from, say, $400 a month to $500 and it, it costs you, uh, you know, $100 to fill up your car every month instead of $50. Uh, and and you're, if you're renting your home or you're, you're spending, say, $1,000 a month instead of 800 in some parts of the country, that's really, really pinching uh, families. And I'm, I'm really concerned uh, uh, about that, um, that, that, uh, that the people are, are really suffering throughout this recovery. Yeah. What are your thoughts about the, uh, all the spending that's being proposed, the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package and the bipartisan bill if that stuff gets through how's that going to impact uh, families well at three and a half trillion dollars it's almost hard to get our <laughs> our hands our arms around this uh now but there are about 300 million people in the country and three trillion dollars so that's another ten thousand dollars plus per person being spent and uh the the fact is this is money that we don't have yeah. so how is it that the government is spending these trillions of dollars well you can do that one of a few ways. You can tax, you can borrow, or you can uh, print uh, <laughs> the money. And obviously, they're, they're, we're not going to have, we're not likely to see widespread tax hikes on, on most people actually passed by Congress. It's just politically not likely. Um, so what are we going to do? Well, we borrow it from the future, borrow it from future generations. And, and that has a very real impact longer term. Because we have to pay that back or pay interest on on that debt, uh, and we're already experiencing some of the problems with that. We spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year just paying the interest on what we've already borrowed. 
Uh, but there's another another problem. Uh, right now, we see that our central bank is printing trillions of dollars, buying government debt, and then that new money is pushed into the economy to buy goods and services. Well, over a, the longer term time frame, we run the risk of all that additional money that's being injected. We run the risk of that increasing prices. And that increase in prices, known as inflation, that is a hidden tax because most of you know Congress doesn't ever uh, Congress doesn't pass it as a tax, but yet it operates as a tax because it is making your dollar worth less. It's really a hidden tax, and politicians over the decades have realized they can get away with it because each and every year we see the general level of prices increase yeah. by a small. Uh, you know, one or two percent a year, and right now we feel it more because it's a higher rate. But each and every year we experience this problem, and this is the direct result of us inflating the money supply. And politicians have recognized they can get away with it usually because we don't connect the dots. Yeah, well, and, and to make it worse, it's a regressive tax because certainly somebody that's making fifty thousand dollars a year, the impact of higher grocery prices and gas prices is gonna have a lot more impact on that person than to say somebody that's making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. So uh to to make it worse, it's it's hurting the little guy. No, you're so right on that. Uh, you know, those that have extraordinary wealth often can hedge the impact by making investments in hard assets such as um oh you could buy gold or silver real estate or or companies themselves and sometimes that can insulate them against the the fact that their dollar is worth less but yeah if you are somebody who is living month to month and and having to spend most of what you're actually earning you really really uh, feel that uh, a lot more and you're not likely to have investments in hard assets that are protecting right. the worth of what you've already worked hard to accumulate. Absolutely right. And, and the other thing I think about is right now interest rates are quite low. I mean, we're borrowing money at a real premium because uh, what is? I don't even think the thirty-year bonds are at two percent yet. So, uh, but what happens if uh, interest rates go up like double, which would not be a big increase? We've certainly seen higher interest rates in the past. We won't be able to pay our debt. Well, that's a great point. Well, when you look at our, our total debt now, which is uh, we've got $30 trillion plus in federal debt, well, what does a 1% increase in the interest rates do? Well, 1% times $30 trillion, you're looking at $300 billion. Yeah. And uh, once again, we got we got to try to break that number down because these numbers are so large. Well, $300 billion and additional interest payments from a 1% rise in interest rates and what we owe on that debt, that is $1,000 per person per year. Yeah, That's $4,000 per family per year. Now, I understand the majority of uh, Americans don't pay income tax now. Only about half of Americans do. But just because if you're one of those people that's not paying income tax, just because you're not paying income tax doesn't mean that you're not going to feel that impact right? Uh, because uh, somebody else has to pay that. And the somebody else is often those people that invest uh, in businesses or invest in technology, things that make all of our lives better. And if they're forced to go ahead and shoulder that burden of those additional interest payments, that's less money they can invest. And all of us, even if you're just starting out in your career, let's say you're starting out and you're making 
30, $35,000 per year, you're not really paying an income tax, but you're benefiting from all the years in which other Americans have been able to invest in business opportunities. So that, that increase in that uh, interest expenditure has an, has an impact on everyone. And, uh, and, and once again, we, we know that the uh, government uh, continues to borrow more than it's spending. So it, the government very likely would borrow more yeah. to pay the interest or print more to pay the interest. And you just run into this cycle where your money, your dollar becomes devalued or taxes continue to go up. It's a, it's a very negative uh, scenario. I would agree, and I don't want to be an alarmist, but my point of view is that actually if this continues, we're going to see a bubble here. We'll see a major meltdown of the economy. Uh, well, you know, there's definitely some uh, negative economic consequences. And even if we don't end up with a full economic collapse because of it, or well, we could end up with stagnation. Uh, if, so if you look at, or, or, what am I talking about here? Well, if you look at, say, Venezuela, um, Cuba, um, those those two countries in particular, they're on the extreme end of economic repression, um, no free enterprise or very little free enterprise, and their economies are, are just mired um, in, in, in there's widespread poverty. Well, if you look at, say, uh, Western Europe, well, Western Europe, you know, they, they have a functioning economy and people live in, in relative freedom. But they don't have the type of prosperity that we have. I mean, our, our families earn $10,000 more per year in disposable income compared to Germany. Our unemployment rates are lower. The typical family has a, is able to accumulate more wealth. Well, if we continue to have a government that is gobbling up so much of the economy and borrowing so much, we could result in a situation in which our economy grows much much slower yep. and where the typical income in a given year for a family in real terms grows less and less. And so even if we don't have widespread economic calamity, we could end up in a situation where people are far less off and where if you want to pursue new opportunities and move on in your career, you're going to have far fewer opportunities. Yeah, so well said. In fact, Joel, would be a repeat in some ways of the Obama years uh, in, in terms of our economy. But Joel, before I let you go, I forgot to ask you about the Heritage Foundation. Now, help our listeners know, help us understand what the Heritage Foundation is all about. Uh, sure thing. Well, the Heritage Foundation is an organization filled with people that are researching, that are writing, that are communicating, communicating ideas with the public and with Congress in the hopes that we can preserve what has made our nation great. The rule of law, um, property rights, limited government, federalism, because we want to preserve a country where civil society and opportunity flourish for all. Uh, Heritage.org is the website. Joel, I just really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the perfect, uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity, maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website NADC. NADCKids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Uh, We have with us Larry Reed, he is uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are a privately funded organization, have been since our beginning back in the 1940s. Our purpose is to educate and inspire young people in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private property, and personal character. And we do that through the website, which is feefee.org, which reaches about 2 million unique visitors every month. And also through the online videos that we post, a lot of social media posts, and in-person events all over the world. And I would like to say, as I usually do when I have you on the show, Larry, that uh, if you have a young person in your life at high school or college age, please introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education, the website fee.org, F-E-E.org, because it is a difference maker. It is a con- it makes great contributions to young people, and I've attended national conferences of, of the Foundation for Economic Education. It is so exciting to see these young people learning together about liberty. So, uh, again, fee.org. So, Larry, uh, you wrote a piece about Marxist student group Demands abolition of the Hayek Society at London School of Economics. This is just an unbelievable story, but maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Well, the focus of this story is F.A. Hayek, Friedrich Hayek, who uh, died in 1992, but he was one of the 20th century's greatest economists, and he taught at the London School of Economics for 20 years, from 1931 to 1950. And there at the London School of Economics is a group 
right now of students who are far-left Marxists, and, of course, they hate Hayek because Hayek was a great defender of individual liberty, and he wrote the great book in 1944 called The Road to Serfdom, which explained uh, what can happen, what is likely to happen, in fact, if a society continues to um, uh, give government uh, increasing powers over their lives. And this uh, student group called LSE Class War is now demanding that another student group called the Hayek Society be abolished and uh, uh, not allowed to meet on campus. Now, you might think, well, maybe the Hayek Society did something particularly egregious, but not even the uh, Marxists are alleging that in the sense of any particular event or, or you know, anything of that nature. They're just claiming it should be abolished because it advances the ideas of F.A. Hayek. <laughs> and they hate capitalism, which Hayek was very sympathetic to. So uh, it's the cancel culture gone wild. Fortunately, it doesn't look as though this group is going to be successful because Hayek is just too widely respected. Uh, but it's a sad commentary on uh, the closed-mindedness, the totalitarian temptation among far-left students at institutions of higher learning, which mm -hmm. are supposed to be devoted to uh, the presentation of competing ideas. I mean, we cancel culture. So it's a, it's the sign of the times, isn't it, uh, uh, Larry, to see yeah. this happening? And because we've seen so many statues and things like that torn down here in the United States. And uh, what you what Hayek would stand for would be discourse. He'd want to debate the students. He'd want to talk to them. He'd want to help share his ideas and have a debate so that, uh, which, of course, everybody learns when that happens. But instead, they just want his voice erased because they I mean, probably don't have an answer for it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they don't, uh, they don't publish scholarly critiques of uh, what Hayek wrote or had to say. I mean, he was a Nobel Prize winner, prolific author. They don't bother to tackle his uh, uh, voluminous output and his immense insights. Uh, they just don't like the fact that he was so generally supportive of freedom and free markets because they want the state in charge of your life. And this is how the far left thinks. And uh, one of the biggest reasons we should be so uh, wary of them because uh, they not only want to control the economy, they want to control your mind. And it's so true. And uh, Hayek, if you haven't read the, the Road to Serfdom, it is a terrific read. It's a short, it's not, not a long read. Yeah. But you know what? It's, uh, it really speaks truth to power in so many different ways, Larry. It's just real wisdom. Yeah, isn't it ironic that uh, these protesters demanding that the Hayek Society be shut down, they're actually proving Hayek's point. <laughs> in the road to serfdom, in which he said, you, you give the left an inch, they'll take a mile. Uh, and it, burning books begins with uh, vilifying people you don't like or whose opinions you disagree with. And this is exactly what these people are doing. Yeah, so it's, uh, you, you had a couple of uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, statements where banning Sir Isaac Newton from the Royal Society or... Uh, uh, Dumbledore from uh, Hogwarts. In other words, these would be comparisons of uh, take, uh, getting rid of Hayek uh, in the name of yeah, this organization. Yeah, or Bruce Lee from uh, Martial Arts, or banning the Rolling Stones from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, this is what it's tantamount to, but what makes it particularly dangerous is we're not talking about rock stars. We're talking about a man of, of solid ideas, uh, yeah. and this is what the far left just cannot tolerate. 
Absolutely. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. I want to end the show just by pointing out that Ron DeSantis, our governor, has signed uh, to a brief that calls for the United States Supreme Court to reject the landmark Roe v. Wade decision and leave abortion issues to states. Now, uh, DeSantis and 10 other Republican governors joined a friend of the court brief filed by South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster in a closely watched Mississippi abortion case. The brief takes aim at the Supreme Court's 1973 Roe v. Wade decision and at a 1992 decision in a case known as Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania v. Casey. Uh, The judicial constitutionalization of abortion represents an unwarranted intrusion into the sovereign sphere of the states, the brief says. Uh, Returning to the states to the plenary power authority to regulate abortion without federal interference would restore the proper constitutional relationship between the states and the federal government. It added it also would produce positive results, including letting Democrat process work as intended, de-escalating tensions on this divisive topic. So notice this is not a, a brief that says uh, abortion is bad. That's not the point. The point is upholding the Constitution. And it's absolutely correct. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that uh, the Supreme Court should have any kind of jurisdiction over uh, abortion, which is a state's rights issue. So each state can make its own decision. But uh, I, I think overturning the law, whether you're for abortion or not, that's immaterial. Uh, we're all for the Constitution. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. On Monday, we're going to visit with uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Uh, we'll visit with Brad Palumbo. Uh, he is with. Uh, he's writing. He was with the uh, Washington Examiner. He's now writing for the Foundation for Economic Education. He's got some really interesting things that he's writing about. We'll also have another surprise guest as well. I hope you make it. A, oh, I always appreciate hearing from you. So please do send me an email on your thoughts on the show. Uh, BobHarden at Hotmail.com. BobHarden at Hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>